Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You're tuning in to Season 2, Episode 22. I think it's worth mentioning that we are officially on the exact same episode number that we were on when we wrapped up Season 1. Now, all that to say, this isn't obviously the final episode of Season 2. We've actually got six episodes remaining. And by six, I mean five. Yep, looks like we're going all the way to Episode 26. There might be a little bonus, Episode 27. And then, as always, we're going to have some incredible, very high-level artist interviews over the summer before we kick off season three, probably sometime next fall. So it's really an exciting moment because we're already exceeding what we did in season one. I think these have been some of the most amazing conversations that we've ever had. I mean, forget about the podcast, just even around the Love Good office, the kind of events that we've done down through the years. These have been really beautiful and really high level. So massive thanks to you for tuning in, to you for for taking these conversations into your own lives, for constantly elevating the true and the good and the beautiful and almost being stubborn in the midst of a culture and a media that's constantly manipulating us, that really wants us to focus on all the negative and all that's wrong with the world and divide, divide, divide. We obviously believe here at Love Good that beauty unites, that beauty brings us together. And I hope that today's conversation with a very special artist and a new friend to Love Good blesses you as always, brings beauty back to the forefront of your life. In just a few moments, I'm going to be sitting down with Ellie Schmidley, which I'm so proud to announce. She's one of our two featured artists in the March package that's going out to patrons actually at the end of next week. So we could not be more excited that we're going to rally around a brand new e EP that Ellie Schmidley has so far only released on Spotify and Apple Music and will be for the first time made possible by our patrons in physical copy. It'll be available really only to our patrons and for people who happen to know Ellie personally. It'll also come autographed. And you, as our patrons, all of you out there who are Love Good patrons, who have subscribed at lovegoodculture.com, you've actually brought that physical EP into existence and it would have never happened otherwise. Pretty amazing. By the way, Ellie is one of the absolute most rare and unbelievable people I've ever met. And even though we've only had a phone call at this point, we've never even met in person, I was so inspired by her thoughts about the ordinary and how small things add up to a lifetime and what it really looks like to find glory and to find beauty, even in the most everyday of circumstances. Hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week. Stay tuned. In just a few moments, I'll be back with Ellie Schmidt. I won't have to Tell me how you wrestle with a dream. 
Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. I am super excited to be sitting down today with the one and only Ellie Spindley. How you doing, Ellie? Hey, I'm good. Thank you so much. Yeah, I wish we were in the same room at the same time. We're obviously by the miracle of technology here. You're recording in your studio. I'm recording in mine. But it is so good to just finally get to know you a little bit, to even invite our listeners into the stories behind your songs and just, you know, who you are as an artist. But before we jump in too deep, where are you actually, Ellie? I have no idea where you even call home. (laughs) I am in Springfield, Missouri, which is my hometown. And if we would have had this conversation a year ago, I still would have been in Nashville. So we could have been face to face, but um, I moved back here, got married just this past June and am working and, you know, doing everything from here. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on getting married and moving back to the the heart of the Midwest. I mean, I've only been to Springfield once, uh, but I have some really good friends. Yeah. I have some really good friends who live there too. And I can't imagine it's quite as interesting as Nashville, but man, you got the best people, salt of the earth, probably this country has to offer, huh? It's true. This community is so special to me, and Nashville was definitely exciting, and there were always things going on, you know, and a new restaurant to try out like almost every other week, but <laughs> it's it's hard to forfeit really good people and really good community, so I'm glad to be back here for at least a little while. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, we're honored to be partnering with you right now, especially as our patrons are out there, you know, sort of counting down the days until our spring package is delivered to their doorstep. And I know that when you were initially in touch with Elena Boudreaux, our content director, we were just so pleased to be hearing your songs, learning more about you and and just coming alongside the the great gift that you've been given as an artist, as a singer-songwriter. So tell us a little bit of where all that started for you. You know, did you write your first song when you were five? Was it brilliant? Was it horrible? At what point did you decide to move to a city like Nashville and and pursue (laughs) music? You don't know if that was like full-time, part-time, what the hope and the dream was there, but tell us about your life and art and music and how that all has collided through the years. Yeah, I so... The earliest memory of music in my mind was when I was six years old and I watched The Sound of Music and I saw Julie Andrews on the screen. And from the moment that film started, I I couldn't stop just being obsessed with her voice and, you know, the whole story. It was so magical to me. So that started this sort of idea of maybe I could try to sing as well. And, but I, it was never really an option to be a job for me. Mm. Maybe it's just my personality or, you know, sometimes geographical locations can play into what people expect out of you as well, or what's almost allowed. But I never felt like that was anything more than a hobby, though I really secretly wanted it to be more than a hobby. So I was in college studying public policy, really interested in that world, and then still really feeling torn of how to express this musical, you know, I I would write songs in my closet after everyone went to bed, and so no one could hear me. (laughs) And the first songs were terrible, just 
just awful. And I sometimes come across the files on my computer and I want to burn them. But I also sort of, <laughs> I also want that like marker of I did this and I was here at this one point and it's kind of nice to see that as well. So yeah, but I ended up meeting a producer named Charlie Peacock over Twitter of all places. I had been playing some shows around my hometown just little tiny things. I was playing on the patio of like this chain restaurant, which I don't, I won't say <laughs> here on the podcast. And a really old teacher of mine, uh, she was my fifth grade math teacher. She came to the, the show and it was so good to see her. We had sort of connected back whenever she was my teacher because I was not a good student. I was, my head was in the clouds. I could not focus on math and she was really gracious to me and she knew that it wasn't my skill set, but she also knew that I was very interested in music back then. So it was great to see her then. I think I was 18 when she came to that show and she took a video, put it on Twitter, tagged Charlie Peacock, and then we were introduced that way. And Charlie is out of Nashville and I woke up the next morning to a direct message from him, just further introducing himself. And we talked back and forth for a little while and then he invited me down to Nashville and I was terrified. I had all these songs that were not very good. And I sat on his couch and he listened to every song. <laughs> and then he said, you know, if this is something you wanna do, I can, I can introduce you to some people who could make you feel like Nashville you know, is a place for you. And so really without that invitation to be a part of the community of music, I don't know if I ever would have, I mean, I hope I would have gained the confidence to just step out and do it, but I'm not sure that I would have. So he played a really integral role in me becoming a confident artist. <laughs> and from then on, I, I, I would travel back and forth between Springfield and Nashville and write with some people that he'd introduced me to. And then I finally moved after about six months and just jumped in headfirst to writing and trying to find a sound and figure out what mattered to me as an artist and all of that good stuff. It's amazing. And, you know, anybody who lives in Nashville is aware that Charlie Peacock is a legend, right? We, we oh, tend yes. to not only know the names of great songwriters, but also great producers in this town. But the rest of the world tends to only know the artists who make those songs and the production of those songs kind of famous, right? So for those of our listeners who've never heard of Charlie Peacock, why, why is he legendary? The guy's got quite a track record. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's worked with Sarah Groves, Switchfoot, and then also John Foreman's solo stuff, Amy Grant. He's written hits also in the CCM world, but he's, yeah, he is the most generous person. And it was so crazy to walk into his house and be greeted by himself and his wife, Andy, who is also just the loveliest woman. And before we even talked music, the first time we met, they invited me to sit at their dinner table and they gave me some chicken soup and he just asked me about my life. And it was so cool to see someone that I admired and 
looked up to for so long, just be so approachable and so welcoming. And that spirit of hospitality really inspired me. And I, I hope to be able to be half as hospitable as they are someday. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. And I, and I do think that is so needed in the life of, of an artist to feel like there's a place where they belong, a place where there's people not just investing in them because they think they're the next big break and going to make a, a lot of money for a label or a publisher or a manager, but actually just because they've got a gift that the world needs to hear and that in that moment they want to really encourage and and cultivate. So it's amazing that you stumbled across a relationship like that that actually even brought you to Nashville in the first place and got you thinking about releasing your first project. So tell us about Blossom and Bone. I've obviously been listening to it for a little while. I'm pretty sure that our patrons have made it possible for you to actually do a a physical print for the first time because it's been digitally released for for several months now, but this Mm -hmm. is the first physical copy that's going to be even in existence. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And I'm so, so excited for the opportunity. Previously, it just wasn't it didn't make sense for me to, you know, front the printing for all of that. But yeah, this spring package gives me the opportunity to do that. And I'm so excited. Blossom and Bone, I guess I felt a lot of pressure behind it because I've always thought like, man, your first project has to be good because you've had your whole life to write it, right? That's right. (laughs) Which is the worst kind of pressure to have on yourself. But uh, it came about from meeting another lovely human, Todd Gummerman, who used to play in Mute Math. Um, Oh, wow. He actually lived in Springfield, Missouri for about 15 years. And we both moved from Springfield to Nashville within a few weeks of each other. And then once we got there, we were more well acquainted and I got to know him and his wife more. And then we just started working together with songwriting. And then he was like, man, we should just record these songs. So without him, again, without a lot of people, I feel like I wouldn't have been able to express, you know, really anything musically at this point. But he championed that production for me. And it took about two years to sort of find what direction I was wanting to go and how to go about recording and the just unlimited possibility that you have in production. And I'm really excited with what we ended up with. It's, it's short, it's a small EP, but the songs came out of a really earnest spot for me, and I was really happy about that. Mm. Yeah. It's so cool. And you've obviously got a beautiful nod to the sound of music with Edelweiss, which happens to be one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, so yes. well done. <laughs> Thank so you. Good. Uh, I'm assuming that's the only cover here. The rest of these are originals. Are, are, are there some that you had written years prior? Are, are most of them a little bit newer in your own catalog? What, where do they all stand? There's actually one more cover on the EP called Wild is the Wind. And it was oh, yeah. a track... Yep written for an old movie from the 50s and then it had been covered by Nina Simone, David Bowie and I found it I found like an old obscure Nina Simone live recording of it 
this like very wow. jazz dark rendition of the song I was really moved of course because it's Nina Simone <laughs> and uh then just kind of translated it in a in a different way to fit in with the rest of the songs and then where to begin one more wave and blossom and bone were pretty new songs overall cool though yeah. i did find in multiple songs i had old old lyrics that i wrote when i first started music when i was first writing tucked away in my bedroom closet where some of those lyrics, like, it wasn't all crap, which made me really happy <laughs> that some of those lyrics actually ended up in some of these songs on the EP. And yeah, so it was a mix of old and new. And it was refreshed, I would say, by Todd's production and his introduction of strings. I really wanted some string quartet work happening and he made that happen and it, it made me really happy. That's so cool. I mean, w would you say that there's an overall theme of this EP? Is there a central message or idea that you're really trying to communicate? Probably this feeling of, of seasons and certain times in life where death happens and then there's rebirth and then death again and then rebirth and just these cycles that is life. I feel like growing up, I always thought I would get to a certain point and feel such a assurance, you know? <laughs> At a certain age, I'll feel assured of, of everything. But the more I've, I guess, grown up and just lived life, the more I've realized that it's just these cycles. And that's also really beautiful. I experienced a crazy shift in my family in the middle of writing this EP and that also influenced things in a really strong way. And although it was tragic, it also produced a lot of redemptive beauty in ways that I could have never imagined. So that's probably the most common theme, especially with Blossom and Bone being the name of the EP, but that one specific song starts out sort of, you know, with, with questions and, and being okay with not answering those questions, you know, being okay to say, I can, you know, build tall buildings or write anything, or I can befriend my neighbor and have the best friendship. And at the end of it all, it's all going to go away and mm. that's okay. And there's, there's still so much beauty in the everyday ordinary of all of those things. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it's so good. And I just love how freely you use the word beauty. I mean, granted, you're an artist, so that shouldn't surprise me. But it's a word that we throw around a lot because we just believe so much in its power. You know, we live in a really interesting day and age. And I think mm -hmm. like the, the media reflects this, culture at large reflects this, Gen Z, these kind of teenagers and young adults that are beginning to, you know, step into university life and eventually like positions of, of influence. I think they see through a lot of the junk and a lot of the, the relativism or the kind of artificiality that so much mm -hmm. of our world stands for. So to ever along the way meet an artist who talks about beauty, who talks about thoughtfulness, 
especially the way you do, Ellie, it's, it's super inspiring. So I'm curious, what, what was one of your first ever experiences of being moved by beauty? Is there a memory that really even comes out at you now? Yes, actually. I had incredible grandparents growing up, and I distinctly remember this one day being upstairs at their house, and they had this beautiful, like, big bay window that the sun would shine through. And I was sort of a wild kid. Like, I hardly remember my childhood because it just seems like I was upside down half the time, like topsy-turvy land or something. But I <laughs> I would frequently, like, just kind of waller on the floor. And my mom was constantly being like, what are you doing? I, I sort of wish I could go back and observe myself because <laughs> it might help me uh, define how I feel now. But... I remember kind of wallowing on their floor, just, you know, like sprawled out, stretched out, watching the sun like pour through this window and seeing like these dust particles, you know, how they like float in the sunshine and thinking like, that is so beautiful. (laughs) And now when I think about that, it's absurd because it's dust and that same dust is probably what gives me allergies, you know, but it truly was so beautiful to me as a child, like it looked like Mm. stars in the middle of the day. And I would say I'm probably a little bit obsessed with the everyday ordinary of life, Mm. maybe because of that scenario or maybe because of a lot of things throughout life, but like washing the dishes or driving from point A to point B. I don't know. I love what it takes to make life run. Not always. There are definitely days where I hate all of that, but (laughs) I I try to really value those things because it is like those small things that add up to a lifetime and they may seem meaningless, but I think there is really rich beauty to be found in those things. And a lot of those tasks are kind of mindless. So there's opportunity for us to, you know, maybe think deeply or meditate on something that is hopeful or provides joy, you know, just for a moment in our, in our lives. Um, That's so good. I'm sorry. I got distracted. (laughs) No, this is good. Like thinking about like the obsession with the ordinary small things adding up to a lifetime. Again, that's the perspective of an artist. And I think there's so many people out there who just have mad respect for that perspective, but can't really tap into it by themselves. You know, again, it's a part of your gift to the world, like helping us appreciate the little things and keep that childlike wonder and awe, you know? So uh, you've even helped me just thinking about different memories from my own childhood here in in the last few moments of you sharing that story. I'm curious too. So obviously the sound of music was a big influence on you. Is there any other works of art, be that a book, uh, an album, a a different paint, a different film or a painting, something that's really changed you or even inspired your own creativity through the years? Yes. I really like the book Walking on Water by Madeline Lingle. I hope I'm saying her last name last name correctly. She wrote A Wrinkle in Time, that 
whole set of books, but she also has this book, Walking on Water. Are you familiar with it? No, I'm, I'm familiar with, with Madeline and Loingo. You're right, however you say her last name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this one book is Walking on Water is about the faithful artist. So art in general, what it looks like to make good art, but also making art from following Christ and also making art and what that should look like. And I love that book. It feels like you're having a conversation with your grandmother who, I mean, it's just, it's like dripping with wisdom and wow. I love it so much. I would recommend it to, to anyone. Another book I've really enjoyed is The War of Art. And mm. that also walks through this sort of tension that we might feel when it comes to just sitting down and starting to do the work and why it feels hard to do that work and what to do <laughs> with that that tension. And I would say those two books have made it easier for me to express myself. I also find a lot of inspiration in food, in really good food, like homemade pasta noodles with, you know, some Parmesan cheese and olive oil and lemon, like all that. I'm so into, <laughs> into like the taking the time to make a really good meal and then sitting down and enjoying it. Yeah. I'm trying to think yeah, of yeah. another film, but I, it's, I'm blanking at the moment. <laughs> I just love that you brought up food. I really do. So we're doing a, uh, I'm leading a trip for a handful of our patrons actually to Rome, Italy, uh, towards the middle of April. So you can imagine how good the pasta yes. is. And I think you've just sort of like elevated my anticipation and, and hopefully even deepened my perspective a little bit because I forget, because I hate standing in a kitchen, I forget that there's even art in the, in the preparation of a great meal. Yes. Yeah, Ellie, like I, I don't know where you come from, but I'm sure you're aware that you're, you're not cut from the same cloth of most artists and singer-songwriters. And I, I just want to affirm you on behalf of our entire movement, you know, of, of patrons, of artists, of young people who really care uh, about culture, who believe in the power of beauty to change the world. I want you to know how much we deeply appreciate who you are as an artist and what a privilege it is to to have this, this first physical copy of Blossom and Bone uh, mm -hmm. in the hands of our patrons and just a couple of short weeks. As we wrap up this conversation, tell us how we can stay in touch with you. Are you on social media? Is there a YouTube channel we should be subscribed to? How do we know when you're coming to our hometown to, to do a concert? We, we really want to rally behind you far beyond this project. Well, first, thank you for that affirmation. It's, it's really good to feel like there is a community that's not just in your, where you live, you know, that has some of similar priorities and it, it helps someone not feel maybe quite so alone in that. So thank you. I, that means a lot to me. And, then, and, and just, just so you know, we're, we're literally going to have patrons listening to your EP as far away as New Zealand, oh, wow. England, all over parts of Europe, actually. And of course, <sighs> just about every state here in America. So it really is like very exciting and joyful for even me to know that these songs are going to be heard by people all over the place. It's really cool. It's oh, really man. Cool for us. I had no idea. That's really cool. 
That makes me really, really happy. I typically, you asked about how to keep in, in, in touch. I'm on That's right. Instagram as Ellie Schmidley. And I frequently update that or it, as much as I can. This I've been in the process of making a second project. So I've been a little quiet on there, but I would love to move more towards playing live and doing a sort of house show circuit, you know, and I will update always from, from that platform, Instagram. So that's probably the best way to follow along and I'll be more faithful to posting there and, and keeping people in the loop after I wrap up this writing for the, the second project. So. So great. Well, Ellie, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the show this week, for being a part of our grown community of artists and patrons, and literally cannot wait to hear feedback from the folks who are going to be hearing your music for the first time just here in a couple of weeks and know what a privilege it is to come alongside you in this. So uh, until next time, we'll uh, look forward to doing this again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. One more day. Thanks so much for tuning in. What an amazing conversation today with Ellie Schmidley. And what a privilege it is for all of us to know that we are helping bring her physical EP into existence for the first time. Yes, it's been on Spotify for a few months. Yes, it's been out there on Apple Music. But this is the first time that she's ever been able to actually physically press the EP. She's going to be autographing it for all of our patrons in the March package. And then she's now got a beautiful product that she can sell at all of her events in the upcoming three, four, six months to a year. And you made it possible. Specifically, our Love Good patrons made it possible. So I'm not only excited about Illy Schmidley, I'm excited about Nick Fabian, who's going to be on the podcast next week. He's a singer-songwriter, really piano-driven pop artist that we have rallied behind before. We invested in his debut EP, I think now three years ago, and we're really, really happy to say that this full-length album that's also in the March package that's going to be really, really highlighted next week on the podcast with Nick Fabian himself is something that you actually can't get anywhere else. So our Love Good patrons out there on the front lines of building a better culture are literally bringing beauty into the world that otherwise may never be seen or never be heard. And we've got some really other fun stuff coming in this particular package to patrons. I'll tell you more about that next week, but I am going to tell you this. It includes, for the first time ever, Love Good Novelty Socks. I don't know if you're into that sort of thing, but Love Good Novelty Socks are going to be a part 
of our $25 a month and $50 a month packages to patrons, which we'll tell you more about next week. Make sure you go to lovegoodculture.com slash Ellie to learn more about Ellie Schmidley and how you can become a patron very specifically in personal support of who she is as an artist and this incredible EP called Blossom and Bone. We love you guys. Hope you have an amazing rest of your week and we'll see you sooner than later. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.